praising our Savior all the day long. We are done singing, but we are not done doing that. As we continue our series in the book of Luke, we're calling this X-Ray because Dr. Luke is examining the life of Christ. And, And every week, you can kind of see behind the scenes how Luke had put all of this together, how he's speaking to the eyewitnesses. He can ask every question. He can hear every story. He can follow up on every miracle. As he's writing this book, this record of the life of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who we praise all the day long. Now, a couple of weeks ago, where we left off in our story, we saw one of those eyewitnesses, Mary, who had become the mother of Jesus, the Messiah, and how she found joy by magnifying God for who he is and what he's done and his promises. Today, we're still in chapter 1. We're going to start in verse... 59, uh, 57, and we see two more eyewitnesses, Zacharias and Elizabeth, extended family of Mary, and they are about to have a miracle child who is actually going to be born before Jesus, the birth of John the Baptist. Now, I love the fact that we are like smack dab in the middle of the Christmas story in the middle of October. (laughs) It's interesting, right? Like, my Christmas mindset expects snow and reindeer and lots more red things. And then I'm ready to hear like Zechariah's prophecy and how the shepherds came. And so to think about it in October, it just lets me hear it a little bit different, to to hear it fresh. And, And so I think we're going to enjoy that this morning. And I want you to join me in that because what's going to happen is Zechariah is going to speak a prophecy over his child, but about the Messiah. And what we'll see there is that the promise of the past is for the people of the present. That Zacharias is going to be reflecting on thousands of years of God's promises and realizing they're happening right now. But not only that, here's something exciting for you. You are in Zacharias' prophecy. Did you know that? Have you ever noticed that before? As you roll through the Christmas season, he prophesies for us too. Because the promise of the past, and this whole thing is written in the past for us, the promise of the past is for the people of the present. But before we get to that prophecy, a baby has to be born. So look with me at verse 57. It says this, Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. Now this is a great move by the neighbors. Can we just highlight that for a second? All right. I think there's something here for us. When you see God do great things in the lives of other people, don't just take note of it. Stop and celebrate with them. Rejoice in that. In fact, the word here, it's actually all one word in the Greek, the great mercy. And and that Greek word for great is an easy one for us. Mega. Uh, Like this is God's mega mercy in the life of Zacharias and Elizabeth. Two people who were well-known in their community, two people who had no children and had come to terms with that because they were past childbearing age, except we just read that Elizabeth had a baby, that this miracle child has shown up, this thing that God was doing through his great mercy. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias, that being the other people. They would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias, His mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. But they said to her, because clearly they know better than Mama, 
There is no one among your relatives who's called by this name. So they made signs to his father, what he would have him called. Now, as good as a move of the people made in celebrating God's mercy, this is a mistake on behalf of the people, (laughs) right? If mama says his name is John, his name is John. You don't need to ask daddy, right? I mean, to think that, that she and Zacharias hadn't communicated about this sometime in the last nine months. I mean, we remember, right, that he had been silenced. He couldn't speak. Because when the angel spoke that John was going to be born, Zacharias had a hard time believing it. Hey, you and I would too. And so as a sign, he was kept from speaking until the time of John's birth. But, I mean, he did have his tablet. Not an iPad. But something he could write on. And I'm sure that somewhere in there, he made it clear. The angel said, John, okay, we're sticking with John. Now, this matters. Because names are important. And they were especially important in Jewish culture. And the way that a child was named often meant something about who that child was, who that child was going to be. If you're from a prominent household like Zacharias, the name could tie you to that family, tie you to that household so that everybody would know, oh, this is the son of Zacharias. And the names carried a lot of weight. Now, when you think about how we name kids today, we have a lot of different reasons and different ways we do that. Sometimes you read some of the names that celebrities give their kids and you you just wonder a little bit. Have you you heard some of them? I won't go there because who who am I to teach somebody else's name? (laughs) But you know, when my wife and I were naming our kids, we thought about this because we wanted them to have names with meaning. You know, and if you've got kids, if if you've had a son or a daughter, you know, you picture that, that first moment, right? When you're holding that child and you give them their name. This is what we're gonna call you. This is who you are. You know, I read somewhere that Every child is like a bundle of possibilities. You know, that as you look at them and you just wonder what they will be someday. And we named our kids kind of with hope of what they might be. And these are our four little ones that you see here. Aren't they adorable? Can, can you remember when your own children were born? And, and you have to realize they're not as adorable as mine, right? Uh, I'm just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> uh, hopefully you all think that yours are more adorable than mine. That'd be good. But we named our daughter Belle. It's a name that means beauty. And, and we connect that to what Peter talks about in the New Testament, the, the beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. You know, because we hope that she's a person who knows to rest in God. Uh, one of our sons is named Axel. Believe it or not, that's a Swedish name that comes from a Jewish name, Absalom, which means the father is peace. Because we hope he grows to know the peace of God, his father. Uh, The the other twin that you see in the picture there is Obed. His name is a short form of the name that means servant of the Lord. Because we hope he grows to be that. And our littlest guy in the middle there, Simeon, his name means he has heard. Because we want him to grow to know that God has heard his prayers. But you hear what I keep saying? We've named them for what we hope they'll be. Now, I didn't get to name my wife, but her name is Melissa. Melissa means honeybee, and I think it fits because she's as sweet as honey. Are you listening? (laughs) Just a little tease, just a little tease. But we name with what we hope they would be. Here's what's unique about John. John was not really given his name when they first held him. He wasn't even really given his name months before as they prayed about who he might be. John was given his name before he was ever conceived. 
And he was given his name by God. That's why in verse 63, this is how Zacharias answers the people who come to him. He asked for a writing tablet and he wrote saying, his name is John. Now the Greek there is almost like an imperative. That this man who hasn't spoken for months... John, his name is. Make no bones about it. Make no mistakes about it. This is his name. This is the name that the angel gave us. This is from God himself. So they all marveled. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, praising God. The name John means grace of God, mercy of God, gift of God. That this couple who had no children would have no children had received a gift. And as we explore this today, we're going to realize that John was a gift of God, not only to Zacharias and to Elizabeth, but to us as well. That this was a child that God had given them. Then the fear came on all who dwelt around them, and all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, what kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. That phrase that they kept them in their hearts, that's the same thing that we see about Mary in the next chapter when Jesus is born. How she pondered all these things in her hearts. How when you see God doing something this amazing, you can't help but just step back for a minute and just think about it. Wow. What is God doing here? Because he's clearly doing something. In fact, if you think about this, Zacharias and Elizabeth were a prominent family. If they lived in Cincinnati, we would all know who they were. We would all know if they had an heir. We would all know if they had kids. And on the day that this family, who we all know, who had no kids and couldn't have kids, had a kid, you better believe we'd all be talking about it. right? And because of that, everybody realizes this is like a miracle child. So, so what's his life going to be all about? You know, as you look forward at the life of that, that, that actually becomes really important for the way that John prepares the way for Jesus. Because everybody, since John's birth, is wondering, what's, what's this kid going to do? Who is this John going to be? So that by the time he shows up and starts saying, you want to know what I'm all about? You want to know what I'm growing up to be? I'm growing up to be the guy that tells you the Messiah is here. And then he has people's attention. What kind of child will this be? And almost as if in answer to that question, his father, Zacharias, whose mouth is finally open, begins to prophesy. It says this in verse 67. Now his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. So as he holds his child, as he holds this miracle baby immediately he begins to prophesy about the other miracle child right the one who is not only born to to people who can't have kids but who was born by the holy spirit who would be born of a virgin just a few months later this jesus that is going to be born and zacharias is magnifying glorifying god and he uses a couple interesting word pictures here to tell us who the messiah is now, this is what we've been singing together all morning how great Jesus is, that's what's coming through in Zechariah's prophecy. 
that there are things about the Messiah that before he's even born, Zacharias wants to make sure that we know. But even as he holds his son, he wants to make sure that John knows the one he's preparing the way for. And one of those is this picture that he is the horn of salvation. Now, this is actually pretty straightforward. The the picture of a horn means strength. That's a symbol of strength. And as I was talking to my kids about this passage this week, I I thought this was more complicated than it was. I said, now guys, I know it's like, because we don't really talk about it that way. For us, horn just means music. But, you know, a horn is strength. And so horn of salvation means he's strong for salvation. Yeah, sure, dad, like a triceratops. Actually, yeah. (laughs) I mean, you think about a triceratops, the end with the horns, that's the end you don't mess with, (laughs) right? That's where the strength is. That's where the power is. That's where the damage can be done. That is what he's saying about Jesus. He is that strong for salvation. He is a horn of salvation. Not only that, though, he comes from the house of his servant David. Why does that matter? Why is that a big deal? Because the prophecies had said that the one who would come, the Messiah, the Savior, the one who could overthrow the enemies, would be a king. They had prophesied that he would be from the house of David who was the king so that you know the horn of salvation also has royal blood. That Jesus is not just a miracle worker, but he is also our king. In fact, One of the things that's fascinating about this prophecy is that it is packed with cross-references to the Old Testament. We're going to hit on a few of them today, but the reality is we could probably sit here for a few hours and just keep flipping through these pages back and forth to different things that the Holy Spirit through Zacharias was saying, remember when I said that? Remember when I said that? Remember I said this six times? Remember I said that 38 times? Remember when I said that and that and that and that? This is it. It's happening right now. One of those is in Psalm 132. And you'll hear it, what what Zacharias just said. There I will make the horn of David grow. I will prepare a lamp for my anointed. That word anointed, that's the Hebrew word for Messiah. The Greek being Christ. That when the anointed, the chosen one, the Savior, the Messiah gets here, he will be the horn of David. The strength from the house of David. Now, Psalm 132, we think, was was probably written by Solomon, who himself was from the house of David. But where do you think he learned that? Probably learned it from Dad. Right? Look at Psalm 18. This one is written by his father, David. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation. Word for word, my stronghold, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. I love this. And in fact, this is one of my favorite passages because there was a time in my life where I needed Psalm 18 like every day. It hit me in a time in my life where it seemed like I had never even seen Psalm 18 before, but there was stuff that I was dealing with that like the strength that it talks about, the light that it talks about. And so I was memorizing parts of it and I mean, I'd heard Zechariah's prophecy before, right? I've been to church at Christmas. But when I started studying for this message a number of months ago, and I'm reading this, horn of my salvation, saved from my enemies, light in the... Zechariah memorized Psalm 18 too! 
It's amazing to realize how much of the text, how much of the word of God is packed into the way that he's celebrating the birth of Christ. And I think that, the, that that's important because essentially Zacharias is doing like verse by verse teaching on all of the Old Testament. And you see how David and Solomon had bonded over this promise of God, that David had passed it to his son, and now here's Zacharias holding his boy and passing it on to his son. You know, that's actually why verse-by-verse teaching is such a big deal here at Horizon, too. It's foundational to to all of our equipping ministry is the reality that, that we can pick up this book, we can turn to any page in here, And just as Zacharias was discovering, we discover that the words on these pages apply to my life right now, today. Imagine Zacharias when his son is born. He realizes what's happening and he realizes Psalm 18 matters in his life. As a priest, he's been studying it. He's been teaching it for years and it's happening right now. The promise of the past is for the people of the present. Guys, that promise is for us too. The horn of salvation is here. The Messiah who is strong is here. That's why when you come down this hallway on weekends for an equipping service, we're opening this text and we're saying, let's dig in. You know, that's why when you, when you show up during the week, either at Horizon or in homes, and we've got men's groups and women's groups that are studying the word of God, I'm in a group right now where we're just opening First Thessalonians and studying together. And you realize, God's telling you, remember when, remember when I said that? When I said that? Remember this thing? Remember that thing? That matters right now. That's for you right now. These promises are for us in the present. Not just so that we can sit here and learn them, right? Not just so we can walk out and say, isn't that interesting? Listen. This is so that we can apply them the same way that Zacharias is. Look at how he goes on in verse 70. Not only is the Messiah strong, but the Messiah is the promise. It says, As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy, there's that word again, promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant the oath which he swore to our father, Abraham. You see, Zechariah sees in every moment that God is keeping the promises of the past. That no matter what else has happened in between, Abraham and now, for all the things that Israel went through for the exiles and the slavery and the rebellion and the repentance and the years of silence, God will never break his promises. His promise has been kept, his oath that he swore to our father Abraham. And listen, Zacharias knows his Bible well. The people around him, they would know. When's the last time that you can think of that there were two people who had no children and they were too old to have children and then God came and an angel said, you're going to have a miracle child. It was Abraham and Sarah. And now here we are again. And when he came to Abraham and Sarah their miracle child, he told them that from this moment was going to come the Messiah. And now to Zacharias, he's been given a son who will prepare the way for the Messiah. For Jesus, who we sang to 
in this room this morning. The promise of the past is for the people of the present, but that's not all. Because when he gives us that promise, he has a purpose for us. He's doing something for us when he saves us from our enemies. The promise of the past is for the people of the present, and the people of the present have the promise for the future. I practiced that really hard, you guys. <laughs> Sounds a little bit like, uh, did you ever see Danny Kay in the court jester? It's a good movie. The chalice with the palace has the pellet with the poison, but the flagon with the dragon has the brew. That is true. <laughs> it's, it's this tongue twister kind of a thing. And I know that sounds really sing-songy, but this is true. And, and this is, everything is on the crux of Jesus Christ that the promise of the past is for the present, but it is also for the future. It is for us right now, and it is for every day that you have yet to live, and it is for every moment of eternity after your life is over. That is the promise of Jesus Christ. The gospel is promised. The gospel is God keeping his word to his people. To the brothers and the sisters of Christ, to the children of God. And so it says in verse 74, he does all of this. This is the purpose to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Not only is the Messiah strong, not only is the Messiah the promise, but the Messiah strengthens us to serve him without fear. I think that's a key phrase because if you think about what's happening, as he holds John and tells him, the Messiah is strengthening you to serve him without fear. John have anything to be afraid of? It won't be long, just a few chapters, before John is thrown in prison and ultimately beheaded for serving God without fear. And we know as we look at, at church tradition about the lives of the disciples that most of them were killed for serving God without fear. Jesus himself was hung on a cross. So did Zacharias get it wrong? Those things sound scary, right? If I told you this morning, serve him without fear, and by the time we came back next week, some of us had been killed for doing that. Hmm. That was a reality for them. It's still a reality in places in our world today. You know, it's easy for us to, to get comfortable here and think, well, we have nothing to fear. But let's pull back from that a little bit. Odds are low that any of us will face death this week for believing in Jesus or trying to serve him. But what does cause us fear? What are the enemies that we need to be delivered from so that we can serve him without fear? You know, it may be a person in your life who, though they may not do physical harm, they do emotional harm, they do spiritual harm because they don't like what you believe and they don't want you to talk to them about it and they don't want you to pray for them and they push back against you to try to keep you from serving God without fear. It may be that you deal with anxiety, you know, fears about the future or, or what could happen. It, it could be that you think about, boy, serve him without fear. I mean, if I really go all in on this God thing, what happens next? You know, what if, what if something does happen next? What if things change? Or, or what if I change? Or what if I don't like the way I change? Serve him without fear. 
You know, it may be a past regret. The kind of things that if you've become a follower of Christ, you know he's forgiven you for, but the accuser keeps coming after you with him. You say, who, who, who am I to think that I could ever serve God after what I've done? Serve him without fear. He delivers us from the hands of those enemies so that we can serve him. In holiness, because we belong to God, we are set apart for him. We are called to be holy as he is holy, like we learned in our study of Leviticus. In righteousness, because we begin to live the way he wants us to live because he strengthens us to actually live that way before him in his presence all the days of our life. You know, A.W. Tozer once wrote, we can be in our day what the heroes of faith were in their day. But remember, at the time, they didn't know they were heroes. Right? At the time, they were just trying to be faithful. At the time, they were just trying to be obedient. At the time, they were just trying to serve God. Listen, Horizon community, if you're a brother or a sister in Christ here this morning, I want you to hear this. I believe that you and I, that we live in a specific place, a specific time, just like Zacharias did, for a reason. I believe that there's a reason that it's we who are here sitting in this room this morning and not somebody else. I believe that God has it for us as a community together to serve him without fear. I don't know what that looks like for you. I know that not everyone in this room has a one-on-one relationship with everybody else in this room, but I believe that we have unity in this Messiah who strengthens us to serve him and that if we do that together, instead of being afraid by the stories that may come by Fox's Book of Martyrs and things like that, instead we find inspiration. When somebody says, this is what I've faced in my life and this is how God's strength brought me through it. Then we serve him together without fear. And here's what it takes to get there. Look at verse 76. The Messiah takes away our sins. That's critical, right? Because if we haven't found forgiveness in Christ, then we're still kind of in that enemy camp. But he wants to defeat the enemies, to set us free from that, that we can serve him without fear. And here in these verses, Zechariah tells us exactly how that happens. Now, this is a unique moment. Because Zacharias just had his baby boy. He's holding his baby boy, but he's talking about someone else's baby boy that's going to come in a few months. But this now is the moment that he stops and looks at his own child. As he holds John, the gift of God, in his arms. And he looks him in the eyes. And John doesn't know what's going on, right? He's probably spitting up. You know, this kind of thing. But what what kind of child will this be? Zacharias knows the answer. He says, you child will be called a prophet of the highest. That's significant. There has not been a prophet, one who speaks the word of God to the people for hundreds of years. But now there's this child. You, child, will be called a prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. 
and to give knowledge of salvation to his people. How? By the remission of their sins. Now this is a big moment. Zacharias is a Jewish priest. Zacharias knows what it's like to live under the Roman Empire. When you think enemy, you think Rome. When you think deliverance, you think kick Rome out. But this good news is a whole lot better than just kicking Rome out. Right? He's telling his son, a big part of your ministry is going to be getting people to realize that victory over Rome is not the biggest victory. It's victory over sin. And there is only one who is strong enough to take sin away. (laughs) It's not you, John. But you're going to tell the people that he's coming. In fact, the word Lord that shows up in this verse, it shows up one place earlier in this prophecy. And this is significant because in verse 68, the word Lord is used to speak to God. Now as a priest, Zacharias would know God alone is the Lord. Right? There is one God and we don't call anybody Lord who is not Lord except God. So think of the weight of the truth that he is speaking about this baby not yet born, that the one John prepares the way for is also called Lord. The Messiah who brings salvation by the remission of sins. In fact, you can hear the cross-referencing again that that Zacharias realizes Malachi 3.1 is being fulfilled in his arms right now. Where God said through his prophet, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And though John was just an infant in this moment, we see how he takes that to heart. How father and son again are bonding over the promises of God. Because as he did his own ministry and when he handed it off to Jesus, look at the words he uses. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus who takes away sin. That's what remission means. You know, and sometimes I think about this concept and it's like, really? Man, can that really be possible? Because I can still think of times when I've sinned and that's painful. That's hard. I feel like I can't forget and I wish I could go back and I wish there was some way to to make it like it never happened. Jesus says, That's what I'm here for. Jesus had authority on earth to forgive sins. Nobody can do that but God. And here he is in the flesh. See how strong the Messiah is? Now we know God's mercy is about to be described as tender in this passage. And we know about the kindness of God. We know about the patience of God. We know about the love of God. How he puts his arms around us. But don't think for a second that that means that he is weak. Right? The Messiah is strong. He is powerful. He is a warrior. He is a victor. Little children will come to him. But Roman warriors will bow to him. Community leaders will bow to him. You know, when you read history or or even mythology... I, I, I was reading uh, the Epic of Shanama Ferdusi. Don't worry about it. 
Persian mythology. Hero after hero, mighty man after mighty man. Listen, nobody serves them without fear. Even in the real history of earth, nobody serves any emperor without fear because you always wonder who's taking over next. Who's going to wipe him out? Who's going to overthrow Julius Caesar? And then will I be on the wrong side of this war? Hear me. Nobody overthrows Jesus. Jesus is the king who is never brought low. He is the king who is coming back in power, in might, to overthrow any enemy, as we sang this morning, to crush them under his feet. And when he has done it, in humility, he gives the kingdom back to the Father, having done his faithful work. This is the Messiah who delivers us from our sin. And listen, as, as Zacharias finishes his prophecy, how this Messiah shines light into my darkness. This is you in Zechariah's prophecy. This is the word for our hearts this morning that all of this is being done through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. That word tender, that's the word splanknan. That's a good word, right? It literally means like guts. Because you know what? That's where our emotion is. That's where we feel things the most. When I'm as angry as I can get, man, I'm feeling it right here. When I'm as excited as I can get, man, I'm feeling it right here. When I'm as in love as I can get, man, I'm feeling it right here. This tender mercy is from the depth of God's emotion for you. For you. This is how much God cares that He sends the day spring from on high. Day spring meaning the dawn, the light bringer. This is Jesus. Listen, I don't know what all of your history is, I don't know what your experience is, I don't know where you may be what you may be going through today. I don't know if you were like so excited to get up and come to Horizon this morning or if it was one of those weeks where you feel like, I don't, I don't feel like going, but man, maybe I should anyway. I don't know. I don't know what you'll face tomorrow, in a year, in five years, ten years. Here's what I do know. All of us, in some way, at some point, have sat, are sitting, or will sit in darkness. You know, sometimes we feel that more times than others when we're facing depression, when we're facing anxiety, when there's a disease that comes out of nowhere and the darkness seems to crowd around us. You know, maybe it's an addictive behavior, a sin issue. Maybe it's a broken relationship that someone else is bringing the darkness in on us. Maybe it's that past regret. Listen, sitting here right now this morning, there's a day spring. There is a light bringer who shines light. He brings light. He comes into the darkness. He sits down next to you. To those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to shine light into that darkness. And it begins to not feel so dark anymore. As I was 
working through this passage and, and sharing this with my kids, I, I thought, oh my goodness, David and Solomon bonded over Scripture and the promises of God. Zacharias and his little boy bonded over Scripture and the promises of God. I gotta, I gotta try to bond over some Scripture and the promises of God. And I would tell you, that's a good action step. If you got kids, whether they are little or they are grown, spend some time bonding over the promises of God. But I got really like high and mighty about this. I said, gather around my, my sons and let's bond over, you know. And I'm, and I'm reading them the thing. I want to read you this prophecy. It's so powerful. It's amazing. And you got to hear this. And, and as I'm reading it, Dad, what's redemption? <laughs> Let me explain to you. Okay, now, psh. Dad, what's remission? Okay, it means he's going to take away. But just hold on a minute. I'm trying to finish this. And as I get to the end, the sit in darkness and the shadow of death, they all start singing. Guys, seriously, let me finish. I'm trying to speak the word of the Lord to you. And, and, and so they let me finish. And when I finish, immediately they all start singing again. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. They are cross-referencing the exact same thing that Zacharias is cross-referencing from Psalm 23. That even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I can serve him without fear because he is with me. And out of the mouths of children and infants, he has ordained praise. And sometimes I just need to be quiet. <laughs> Listen, there are so many cross-references in here that we have not even touched. Spend some time digging through this. But, but I'm going to give you a roll of just a few more right now. And I know you can't keep up with all of them, and that's okay. But it's because I want you to hear this. If you don't know Christ as your Savior today... You may feel the weight of all of the darkness. If you don't, it may be that you're in darkness and don't even realize it. But if you are a son or a daughter of the highest, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ in this room, even when it feels like darkness is everywhere, you are not in darkness anymore. That's the promise of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 59 says that there is a way of peace Right? Zacharias is going to guide our feet into it. Isaiah 59 says, the wicked don't know it. Romans 3 says, all of us have sinned. All of us are wicked, so none of us can know it. But Ephesians 5.8 says, now you are light in the Lord. Now you can live as a child of light. Acts 26 says that you can turn others from darkness to light. And guess what Psalm 18 says? God has turned my darkness to light. This is why we serve him without fear. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Messiah who is magnified here in the words of Zacharias, we thank you. We thank you for your strength. We thank you that it is available to us. We thank you that you are our King. Lord, I pray that wherever we are sitting this morning, whatever we are experiencing, that we would know the light that the day spring brings, that we would know the strength, that we would serve without fear, God, that we would do it together for our good, but God, for your glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here. We will see you next week for more of X-Ray.